1: Fuel Better Podcast. I am your host, as always, Evan Lynch, and today I actually have a guest in studio with me, so you're in for a treat. Gonna be something other than just my voice today. We're gonna to talk about all things metabolic testing, VO2 maxing, strength and conditioning, and a little bit of sports science. Before we get into today's episode, I just have a couple of announcements to make. Hello, with some team members. I can tell you there are now five people on the Evelyn integration limited team you're going to be introduced to all of them in due course some of them are going to be taking on clients in the new year all of them have their own speciality areas so that's something to keep an eye out for watch this space as they say secondly i would like to announce that i am making very very solid progress with the online course for the Nutrition for an Ironman triathlon. I have four chapters done. It's gonna be ready for the new year. So I've set it here. I've put myself to that target now. So it will be available in January for an early rollout. Also, I am currently talking with the idea of doing an in-person seminar, like kind of a full day workshop, maybe one or two talks, um, probably here at Clonmel, but I'm gonna put the feelers out there if this is something you might be interested in just drop me a message i'm trying to do some market research at the moment but seminars will be coming i am planning another webinar in the coming weeks on how to keep an athlete healthy over winter if this is something that would interest you please keep an eye out on the socials you can join my newsletter to get a heads up on any, and all of these really exciting announcements i will drop the link in the podcast show notes I would encourage you to get on that, otherwise you're missing out on some gold. Or there's something that you really cannot wait until the new year to address. The consultation clinic is open all year round, please get in touch about that. However, if in 2023 you're looking to wallop a couple of goals, whether it be weight loss, sports performance, body composition, food relationship, manage your gut issues forever, or you have a big event and you want to leave no stone unturned. I would encourage you to get in touch and join the waiting list last january i had 50 people get in touch to join the waiting list and not all of those people could start in january and it meant some people didn't actually get to work with me fully the way they wanted to ahead of their key race or competition day and it just pushed their timeline back a little bit so if you even think you might be interested in working with us you can join the no obligation waiting list please contact info at evanmitchfitnot.com for more information on this. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay, everybody. So today's guest is Kieran Burke. We've been longtime colleagues, so we've been working together for a long time. Not only that, we're also pretty good friends. He is a fellow Clonmelian. Kieran will introduce himself, but I can assure you I've yet to meet someone as thorough or pedantic when it comes to all things strength and conditioning, sports science, and metabolic testing, and that's going to be the nature of today's show. Um so let's let's get into the episode. <laughs> Kieran, welcome to the Fuel Better podcast. You are our first guest, so I hope that's an honour you don't take too lightly.
2: Thanks very much, Evan. Delighted to be on board. Um, Yeah, first podcast, so I'm looking forward to getting into the meat and
1: visit. Don't worry, I don't bite. It's just, uh, It's just like having a conversation with an old friend. So look, for people who don't have the pleasure of knowing you, what's your deal? Tell me about yourself.
2: My name is Kieran Burke. I run a company called The Performance Lab where it's all to do with metabolic testing. Mm -hmm. I have 15 plus years in the industry and we deal with two primary tests. One is RMR, which is resting metabolic rate, Mm -hmm. and the second one is VO2 max testing, which is that sexy picture or video you some of your guests might have seen where people are wearing masks and they're either running rowing or biking with a with a mask on their face and they're uh, doing intense workouts
1: really interesting so i think it'd be fair to say when people think of the phrase sports science you're actually pretty much applied sports science right
2: yeah so i've uh i've a master's in sports performance and uh, with the 15 years plus experience, I started off doing strength and conditioning. Now, I still do that, but my primary focus is the performance lab and the metabolic testing. Um, so 15 years ago, I had an interest in strength and conditioning, um, all things to do with gym and sports. I played a bit of rugby myself back in the day. And I, uh, that interest, I guess, got really reignited and uh, I followed it through so I ended up, thankfully, being able to deal with some county teams, a number of uh, national and international athletes uh, throughout my time uh, coaching. Obviously my focal point has changed somewhat and now that I'm uh, opened up my, the performance lab, we are now taking in clients for the Ormore and VO 2 We actually also branched out a small bit And we've done, we're doing lactate threshold Mm -hmm. and through my own experience, I'm doing running economy as well. So there's a couple of uh, key assessments that people can use to be able to uh, push themselves forward. Now, that's not to say that it's all sports orientated. We get a lot of general population people coming in
1: as well. Really interesting. And I I have a few questions if, uh, if you don't mind. I'm sure people are curious, you know. Uh, metabolic testing, performative, it all sounds really intriguing. First of all, what is an RMR assessment? What What is that?
2: Great. So an RMR it stands for resting metabolic rate. And essentially what it is, is your energy cost for the day in calories. So if you woke up in the morning and didn't move a muscle, mm-hmm. how many calories do you need to not gain any weight or mm-hmm. not lose any weight? So what we do is we bring we bring our clients in, and a lot of them are, some people will always focus on, think of this, and they'll focus on weight loss. Mm-hmm. It's actually not the case. We get a lot of people coming in, and it's weight gain, or just weight maintenance, or just something to do with their, their own personal interest in it. So we do get a, a whole spectrum of people and different goals, but, if you come in and you book with us, what you do is usually people do it in the morning because you have to be a minimum of five hours fasted. That's what we require. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's easier to wake up and uh, just not, not take the first sip of, of coffee, come into to us and you can uh, get on with the rest of your day. It's a non-invasive test, which means that uh, there's no rigorous exercise or poking or prodding on anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, what you literally do is you come in fasted, it's, it's a maximum between 15 to 20 minute test where you're sitting down and you have breathing into a tube essentially. <laughs> so you're breathing in and out for the 15 minutes max. And what comes out of that is your calorie expenditure for the day.
1: Really interesting. And I think, you know, I see it in my own line of work. If I look in the context of weight loss, there is massive variation between someone's predicted their calculated resting metabolic rates yeah and if we're looking at weight loss really for a lot of people it's fine margins you know and i've personally seen it where someone's resting metabolic rate was about five six hundred calories less than predicted and for two months i could not help this man lose weight i got him to do the test and like there was your answer right there, you know.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and we have had these conversations, the Mifflin St George or the, the Harris Benedict. These formulas are great, and the great rules of thumb. But when you're actually dialing down and and needing to know numbers, if you don't, if if you don't test, you don't know. Yeah. And that's 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 at the end of it. And if you're looking, and your your client or or somebody belonging to me comes in, and the difference is 200 calories. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a huge range of uh, variation in all of those standard uh, Mifflin, St. George, and Harris-Benedict calculations that people normally use, mm-hmm. but then they get tested and you it shines a light on it.
1: Yeah, I think maybe a good phrase here is, whilst we try, you cannot shove human physiology into an equation. I mean, that's fair to say.
2: Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And look, we might get into into some bits of the VO2 max as well later on, but um, all these are usually our regression equations, and mm-hmm. you can be between 10 to 20% off.
1: Yeah, 100%. Interestingly, as part of my PhD research, looking at the health effects of low energy availability, it's male athletes, but this applies unisex, In cases of malnutrition or when an athlete grossly underfuels, what you see is metabolic suppression. So that RMR test can actually be diagnostic of Relative Energy Deficiency Syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, Normally we have an accepted, I suppose, ratio of calculated to expected of 0.9. And if an athlete is below that, if their measured RMR is less than 0.9 if they're expected, you can say with almost certainty, this person has relative energy deficiency syndrome. Like, yeah. that's that's problematic. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of people, and maybe you see it too, because it's easy to shrug off being tired or not training well or just not even being able to sleep. And a lot of these symptoms are kind of overt or they're kind of they're a little bit salient. You can yes. ignore them. But if, if an athlete was worried about, God, am I actually... Is there something going on here? This would be a really simple way to find out.
2: Yeah, no doubt, a hundred percent. It's there's an accuracy in ninety eight percent with the equipment that we use, and like you're looking at plus or minus forty calories. Yeah. That's that's the milk that some people put into their tea. So um, while we're looking at that, you can also look at it on the other side of things. Mm-hmm. Is that if somebody's saying to you, and I think we've had it before as well. Oh, we? Yeah. And somebody's saying to you that they're eating um, or they're consuming yeah. x amount of calories that you've given them and you've yeah. set as a target, and you're there scratching your head, um, <laughs> yeah. and then they they come in and they do the or more. Yeah. Um, again, that light is shone upon it quite clearly, and you know very very soon if they're if they're telling the truth or not.
1: Yeah. Look, hundred um, percent. And by the way, if I know you, I know that. Two percent inaccuracy probably drives you insane. Have you figured out how to bridge <laughs> that? <laughs> uh, yeah, somewhat <laughs> alright, somewhat <laughs> alright. Yeah. Uh, but to to go back to your point, case in point, I had it recently with a client based in Dublin, got a met- metabolic test done up in Dublin with Mr. Canan, who yes. we both know well, and couldn't for let's say a couple of months, this man was struggling with weight loss. Did his RMR test. Massive. His RMR was huge way bigger than we thought it was and eventually what transpired and this is sometimes the case with nutrition interventions he himself was not ready to do the process or there was things going on with him in the background that were kind of inhibiting his ability or another way to put it is people can have like cognitive glasses on you know if you were trying to lose weight you're biased towards underestimating about 50 percent of bigger portions there yeah and this was the thing where we said, okay, listen, person, this is the reality, and here's what's happening. So clearly, we're missing something or some things. And I open up the discussion. And yes, there, the, the fog lifted, and he was thinking, oh, well, you know, I do this, and I don't really measure my portions. I just guess and input it into the app. And I'm like, yeah. all right, this is starting to make sense here. But it all came back to doing the test, that or more test. Yes, yes, yeah, it was the key that sort of opened up his own perspective and then allowing
2: me, because it's, it's it's not subjective anymore. 100%. It's something that's taken away from everybody. It's, it's clinical data that you're looking at, yep. and you can't interpret it any other way than what's black and white on the sheet. And a lot of the time, like you're saying, that actually, that changes people's perspective and... Uh, they can go one or two ways mm-hmm. and thankfully... Uh, you know, I' went the right, right, right way. way. Yes, yes. yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Well, he was in good hands. Fantastic, of course. I want to pivot for a second and we've looked at ORMOR. And by the way, I will be launching a weight management program in the new year for people based in Clonmel or people willing to charge Clonmel. It's a nice place. The ORMOR test will be part of this. And it's very much part of our ethos to rule out the guesswork and to help people so, again, info at edmundinchfitnut.com or you can contact Kieran on. Kieran, what are your details?
2: Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll give it over and we might be able to put in the link, but it's uh, theperformlab at gmail.com.
1: Easy peasy. You can contact either of us for information on that. That will be happening in the new year, just FYI. But just to pivot for a minute then, I'm curious. So, as again, part of the PhD I'm doing. I'm going to have to do VO2 testing with yes. athletes and there's there's a way I've figured out some equations to use the VO2 data to calculate mm-hmm. their energy requirements. I wanted to ask an expert does it matter how you test the VO2 in terms of what exercise modality what kind of ramp test you use would a bike VO2 test be suitable for everybody or would a treadmill be suitable for everybody what's What's your take on that?
2: Okay, so uh, broad spectrum question, so we, <laughs> we might be able to narrow it down. So, if you're looking at a sports athlete or somebody who's recreationally into sports, let's say an endurance athlete who yeah. does 10Ks and maybe half marathons, okay, running wise, you would test them on treadmill. Okay. Yeah. So, you're going to test the modality that they, that they uh, compete in. Um, if you're looking at a recreational person, or what I've done before is if I'm getting sports people in, say GAA, rugby, soccer, again, they are running. Mm-hmm. So you're going you're gonna to test them in, um, in, in that modality as well. Usually it's modality specific to the sport, but if you have somebody else coming in, I would always there's a number of questions we'd ask and mm-hmm. we go through their whole history but generally depending on say the likes factors of injury and how active they usually are I'd actually get them to do it on a treadmill mm-hmm. and you do a round test but there's a number of different round tests that you can do
1: depending on their uh, their fitness level okay. for the most part am I correct in saying uh, and again this is great for me because I can just not have to read the research so I can just ask you <laughs> here. the fitter someone is is it they require longer longer time intervals and intensities. Is that correct? Longer ramps? Yes.
2: Yeah. So, there's a couple, again, there's a couple of things in that. If you've measured somebody and you got their baseline and you measured it doing, say, a one minute ramp or a two minute ramp intervals, Mm -hmm. and that means that at each interval you would increase the intensity, either the, uh, the incline Mm -hmm. or the speed Mm -hmm. or a mixture of both.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And if they did their 12 week 15 week intervention and came back to you Mm -hmm. and they were far they ended up being far fitter Mm -hmm. in sports science the most important thing is to replicate what you've done so you would you would retest them at the same protocol even though you might have actually changed the protocol if they were if they were the first time that they came into you Mm -hmm. but they were as fit as they were Mm -hmm. their second round
1: okay understood and I know that if you have a cycling specialist and you do them on a treadmill, for example, for their VO2, that you might not, gonna, you're, you're possibly not going to get the most accurate representation of their physical fitness.
2: Yeah, no, without a doubt. So we see this with, with triathletes. A lot of the time, their heart rates uh, can, can jump over and back, that threshold area can jump over and back as well. Mm-hmm. And especially with triathletes, you're you're probably not going to go over your threshold much it's a 10 plus hour race and what you want to do is well Ironman is is 10 plus hour races and what you want to do is you want to stay at that steady state so take an example of a, a triathlete you have multiple disciplines you have the swim you have the run and you have the bike now if we're testing them we have always said to do the two disciplines that we can test. You do you test your run and you test your bike. Um, the reason is is because you can see a change in heart rate. Uh, usually it's a small bit lower with bikes and this also buys into zoning and training. So when you do the VO2, you get a complete picture of what's going on um, under the hood. This means that you get it to go away with limitations of your training and what you need to do to improve them. And we push it even further by telling you that, showing you the heart rate and everything that, that needs to go with those zones. So, getting back to the question, with your bike, they can change slightly, so we need to do the two two disciplines at the same time.
1: Interesting, so a triathlete kind of has to push themselves to the limit twice. Yes, yeah,
2: 100%. And with that, usually when we're doing the VO2 you start at a low low intensity Mm -hmm. and the reason is is because you want to get that broad picture from very low to
1: maximum voluntary exhaustion really interesting um i'm sure a lot of people aren't aware that you know unless you're a bike specialist or a running specialist that maybe you need to, you need to pay attention to what modality you do most to get a representative test. Like I'm sure a rower would have to do their VO two in an erg, right? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah.
2: So the rowers usually do, and they're the three types of uh, modalities that we test most commonly. You have your bike, you have your run on the treadmill, and you have your, your row, your rower. Um, so... We, I would very much so like to make make a quick point, is mm-hmm. that this is this is testing and, and, and testing you have a set of specific variables. A lot of people go away and they go, "Well, I've done my FTP, I know, I know where I am, or I've plugged it into my watch and I know what I, what I do. At the very basis of this, when we pair all VO 2 max down and even the RMR that we just discussed, this is... Oxygen, utilization, and us as humans being able to utilize our oxygen with the food that we eat and then being able to do things. Mm -hmm. For the most part, that's it. Um, Testing with me and the metabolic testing, what that does is it actually... It tests your oxygen and your carbon, so we get a huge picture. We hook you up to your heart rate, and then we also um, we also increase the intensities with that, and see your uh, VT as well, which is your tidal volume. Mm-hmm. That's the amount of air that you breathe. So we're we're monitoring a number of indicators that can actually show that the intensity has increased or that you are gone into another another zone or another stage. Take from. Um, your steady state to beyond steady state or mm-hmm. your, your lactate threshold that it might be known as.
1: I have a technical question for you. This is something I've had with a couple of high-level triathletes actually who've done VO2 testing and have come back and said their metabolic flexibility wasn't great. And it was shown that their RER or respiratory exchange ratio didn't really match up with the intensity or they found that they were jumping up to high RER numbers really quick, which for people listening who don't know, if I'm correct, the higher your RER, the more you're relying on carbohydrates. Yes. Generally speaking, the more well-trained you are, the more fat you can use it, and given an intensity to spare glycogen. Could you talk a bit about that for a second?
2: Yeah, of course. So going back to the idea of we mix the oxygen that we breathe in with the food that we eat and we get energy, okay? So if I'm starting a test with somebody at a really low ebb, what happens there is majority of their energy is coming from the oxygen that they breathe in and the fat sources that are in their body. Mm -hmm. When intensity increases and your body is under periodically more and more pressure, Mm -hmm. That changes, and that that change that that um, the demand on our body and what we utilise as fuel changes, as you as you well know yourself. So getting back into the question, the RER is the the difference between your your carbon and your oxygen, and that actually gives how much fat or how much carbs you're utilising, and that's another indicator of the amount of intensity that you're that you're um, under. Now. When you pass the threshold, again, that most people would commonly call a lactic threshold, <laughs> it's actually a, the nomenclature and the uh, language is a bit mixed up, but it's a maximum elastic steady state. The lactic threshold is when you start producing lactic acid, and the maximum lactic steady state is when you can't, um, you're you producing too much lactic acid than you can actually um, huh. get rid of.
1: Which one is higher?
2: the MLSS, the maximum Elastic Steady State. Interesting. Yeah. So when I test people with the maximum Elastic Steady State or for lactic thresholds and uh, lactic acid, what we do is the first inflection point is the lactic threshold. Yeah. That just means they're after producing it. And the Maximal Lactic Steady State is the second threshold point, which means, I usually call it, they're gone beyond, uh, they're after falling off a cliff and at some stage they're going
1: to reach the bottom. point of no return. The point of no return. I wanted to ask that first inflection point, I imagine that happens a lot sooner in the intensity ladder than people think. Is that true? Um, it it doesn't it doesn't. It depends
2: on your training. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I've had this conversation with a number of athletes, a number of colleagues, and we as humans are a bit sadistic. <laughs> okay. We love doing things at high intensity. Yeah. And, that, and we feel really good afterwards after we, we catch our second wind. But the thing is, is if you're doing endurance or anything over 10, 15, 20 minutes yeah. plus, you need to have an aerobic base. Yes. And the aerobic base is slow and steady. And yes, sometimes it is a small bit boring, but if you want to get better, you need to have that base. And what that base allows you to do is it actually pushes all the high-end um, lactic lactic acid, lactic, uh, threshold, maximum lactic steady state, and it increases your recovery. So it pushes everything, that curve, all the way
1: right and upwards. Yeah. So I know, as an athlete, well, retired athlete, technically, if you want to call me that. We're in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I used to hate the slow stuff but I understood that and my understanding is still that at those lower intensities 70, 60, 70% of your VO2 max is that right? That kind of the sweet spot?
2: Yeah it can be so what we do is we, we give you zones when you go away mm-hmm. so you get tested with us we measure all these these data points that we've just discussed and we see where those intensities for you have, have increased. That gives us a breakdown and it gives you, it lets you go away with number one, we look into what your limitations are, but number two, you get zones. Mm. You get something tangible to actually take away and and work on outside. So your zones, we usually do a five-layer five zone. Zone one would be recovery.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: zone two would be, zone two entry is more all three fatty acids, all that fat storage that we're talking about, zone two and three are going to be your steady state.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Zone four is your maximal lactic steady state where you're after just going beyond that point. It's that nearly uh, point of you're creating a lot of lactic acid, you're un- comfortably uncomfortable. Gotcha. Is the best way to describe that one. And zone five is your high end uh, short intervals.
1: Mm-hmm. Understood. Yeah. I I work with a really high level running coach and with Yes. And I remember we we both gave a talk. And it was we did it on behalf of the and done at Wexford. And I listened to him talk and he was saying all the guys he's working with, some of the European medalists, 90% of their work is at that like boringly slow level and he explained that it's at that level of intensity through you make your metabolic machinery.
2: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,
1: For the people who are thinking, fuck these guys, I'm not gonna go slow. How do you convince them? Could could you explain what happens at those loans?
2: So you have to do the slow stuff slow so you can earn the right to do the hard stuff hard. Mm -hmm. Um, When you are doing the slow stuff, this improves your recovery. Mm -hmm. Improves your heart rate recovery. So when you are actually up at the high levels and you're training at at those threshold or um, short intervals, Mm you're going to be able to recover that bit quicker, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to do them that better, and you're pushing that whole curve all the way up. So number one for me would be recovery, and number two is the capillaries. Mm-hmm. So capillaries are where your oxygen is offloaded to your muscle, and it takes your blood takes on the carbon. And mm-hmm. again, like we said, that oxygen is the fuel for all of our movement and everything that we do, for the most part. So, with that, you have 10 billion of those in your body, the average human. Mm-hmm. The best thing about that is it's trainable. Mm. So, if you train and your specific training, say you're a runner, the capillaries in your legs are going to get denser. There's mm-hmm. going to be more of them, which means that your blood and your oxygen can get to more of your muscles, which means you're going to be working more efficiently.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: They're, they, they are the two the two biggest things that are coming to mind at the moment in relation to reasons to do the slow stuff
1: mm-hmm. can I ask about mitochondria and how they're affected at lower and slow intensities
2: like the capillaries the mitochondria is trainable again so you can actually increase the density of them so what that means is is that through specific training um, it will be more efficient for that training uh just to let us know let your guests know the mitochondria is the fuel house or cell of the body we have billions of them again mm-hmm. and the more you have the more efficient you
1: are at creating energy mm-hmm. okay interesting i wanted to ask seeing as we're talking about low intensity stuff i sometimes hear of clients athletes Going to get BO2 testing done, and the sports physiologist or scientist will say, going back to the RER, it seems as though that metabolic flexibility is not there. We recommend you do more of the slow stuff. Is it the case that if you see an athlete spiking really high on their RER, does that mean they're not actually very adept at using fats? And how would you help someone in a scenario like that?
2: Yeah, 100%, what usually happens is uh, they're usually doing too much high stuff Mm. in relation to their training and I've always gone back to the analogy of a house, so you have your foundation, say you have a two storey house and the roof in the house is a conversion. So you have two storeys and a conversion. The people who do the high stuff, and they usually usually break it down in a week of 80-20 so 80% high stuff because again they love the feeling that they get but it's not going to do their discipline or their their competitiveness any justice mm-hmm. so they are just building roofs and attic conversions and they have no no foundation They've no first floor and they've no second floor.
1: You can tell Kieran was working in the construction industry. Yeah, (laughs) for the career. (laughs) a lifetime ago. So, are you telling me in essence that Usain Bolt would be terrible at park runs?
2: Yeah, without a doubt. (laughs) Without a doubt, yeah, yeah. I think he, I think he took a stint at soccer as well.
1: He did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Usain Bolt is listening feel free to tag us in your next 5K run and prove us wrong.
2: Oh, without a doubt. (laughs) Without a doubt. Yeah, so the RER is actually saying that um, the metabolic flexibility is saying that you're going into your carb sources too quickly. Mm -hmm. And usually when we go into our carb sources, that means it's at higher intensities. Mm -hmm. So anybody who has, generally speaking, anybody who has metabolic flexibility and it's low or it's it's poor metabolic flexibility, um, what happens there is... Most people's VO2 masks test would be between 10 to 15 minutes. Usually doesn't go beyond that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Somebody with poor metabolic flexibility would probably be less than 10 minutes because they don't have the ability to withstand...
1: Um, they don't have the stamina, essentially. Just fold like a shirt as soon as the dial is turned up. Yeah, any any
2: small bit. Yeah, So they don't have the base to be able to extend their... Extend their um, their ability to be tested, and if you actually
1: got them competing, again, they'd fold like a shirt. <laughs> Interesting. Just parallel, um, I see it coming into research in clinical nutrition now, just a tangent. Metabolic flexibility, or lack thereof, is associated with a whole bunch of metabolic problems, like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular problems, um, you can see it as a higher risk factor for developing any kind of lifestyle related disease and I am hoping to look at some elements of this at, during, during the PhD you know look at some of the metabolic effects don't know if it's possible yet or how we do it but I kind of think that metabolic flexibility might be worse in an athlete who may be underfed or chronically underfueled just because they're forced to use different substrates um but just the metabolic flexibility side of it there, the RER can tell us a lot about how training should be done in terms of fasted or not. So for for maybe prospective people looking to do the tests here, myself and Kieran actually work together. So he'll interpret the physiology and he'll kind of let me know, well, you know, this athlete needs to get a little bit better at fat oxidation. And that in turn can inform some of the nutritional practices we would use, like delayed feeding tactics, periodic low carbohydrate availability, purposeful carb withholding to amplify that. Um, and maybe even
2: the training times that you, yeah. that you get them to go and train where yeah. possible.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of, um, it's a really useful test, but it doesn't just inform your training zones it can it can have a huge impact on you know what health risks you should care about how you structure your diet uh whole bunch of other things probably as well that i'm not even thinking of at the moment yeah you
2: get you get to go away with what you need to do but if you get to work with us you get the the how and then the the, the specific zoning in for for you zoning I shouldn't have probably used that term but <laughs> but the narrowing focus for you as an athlete and the individual training that you need specific to your needs mm-hmm. um, it's actually a funny one because uh, you're talking about uh, you're talking about your uh, your thesis yeah and uh, you can see sort of see that on the other side so when we're going back to that or your if somebody hasn't fasted. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing a so I'm doing a resting metabolic rate with them, and I see the OREO as well. So if somebody hasn't fasted, I can see that they haven't fasted. Yeah, yeah, but I can see it time. straight away because the food that they have eaten is actually um, is being utilised at that time. So mm-hmm. they've obviously eaten food within the past two three hours. You can see that. You can also see it if they have fasted, but they're um, probably a small bit overweight. Mm -hmm. or or borderline obese or morbidly obese you Mm -hmm. can actually see that they are utilizing carbohydrates at a far higher rate than than fats
1: that by the way is metabolic inflexibility almost by definition right there um i wanted to ask because i know you do lactate testing as well from a performance perspective is vo2 or lactate threshold which one is more informative, or what is the difference, I suppose, in terms of how it informs training practices?
2: Sure, so if we look at them separately and then we'll, we'll talk together, VO2 is a great test. It's a great test, but a lot of people fixate on the number. Mm. Um, a lot of people fixate it on the number and the number that their watch after giving them. Yeah, so. When we look at VO2, there's a thing called VO2 is done by the Fick equation. Mm-hmm. It's your cardiac output, so the amount of beats per minute and the stroke volume that your heart can of blood that your heart can beat. So it's cardiac output times the difference between your oxygen in and your carbon out. Mm-hmm. Now if we're looking at that, a watch can sort out, for the most part, your your cardiac output. Mm-hmm. It's not attached to your lungs. It can't tell you what you're
1: up to. Usually the wrist, right? Yeah. <laughs> Usually the wrist. <laughs> Usually
2: the wrist, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, so with that said, uh, if we're looking at the two of them in, in, in different sections, the VO2 is a number. The VO2 max is a number mm-hmm. if you get to that maximal voluntary exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And we will... When you come test with us, we will try to get you there in a safe manner, obviously. But there is, there is a bit of fighting with demons if you want to get to the top result. <laughs> so, that's a number. The most important thing that I look at is how you got there. And that's why we start at such a low level. Yeah. Leaving VO2 max away for a second, and looking at the lactic threshold, there's a different protocol to do lactic. Now, lactic is another biomarker, blood, mm-hmm that tells us about intensities. Mm. So we usually do, um, a ramp test is usually done with VO2 and it's every minute, two minutes, three minutes and the intensity is increased. With mm. VO2, it can be a ramp test but it's at longer intervals. Mm-hmm. So it could be six minutes. Mm-hmm. The beauty, and then what we do is we do a uh, blood test at each at each stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We, we put it into the machine and we keep on taking it and a curve will occur. Mm. and that curve again has inflection points and those inflection points are based on intensities we marry those intensities with your heart rate and you know where your lactic threshold is which is that time you start creating lactic acid mm-hmm. or your maximal lactic steady state which is I'm after creating too much than I can actually get rid of that's the sickening that's the hydrogen ions that mm. shitty feeling that people feel that they're about to puke yes that's at that point
1: acidosis
2: yes yeah now you and i know lactic acid after getting a serious rap uh, especially uh, myself coming from strength and conditioning circles um everybody sees it and it's the um it's it's the post it's,
1: it's the it's the bad poster boy <laughs> i think it gets unfair press because you're more of an expert on this but lactic can also be transferred and used as a fuel source
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, it can. So, uh, so if you're if you're running and the majority of your lactic acid is being um, is being generated in your muscles, your body is extremely intelligent. It can actually shuttle it to unused muscles, uh, use it as fuel, and then bring it, uh, and then use that fuel for energy to keep going. The byproduct of lactic acid is the hydrogen ions, and that's
1: the shitty feeling. Mm. So is that why the the lactate threshold is important? It's that you, by understanding what that is, you can train yourself to deal with lactate, tolerate and buffer it a little bit more efficiently. Is that is that true? Yeah, no,
2: a hundred percent. So um, you, you you adapt at low intensities and you stimulate at high intensities, mm. and then knowing your heart rate for that maximal lactic steady state that people usually call lactic
1: threshold. Mm -hmm. Being able to being able to train at that level
2: actually stimulates all of the low end stuff that you've been doing that we've hopefully hopefully gotten across that's really, really important, especially
1: if you're an endurance athlete. (laughs) I think so. I think it'd be fair to say to kind of Say lactic acid is bad, is like saying fatigue is bold. You know yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: 100%. And actually, a, a good one there what we usually do if somebody was, and um, if they were a runner and they were getting a lactic uh, acid test with me, the protocol there is actually quite similar for the running economy. Now, mm. the running economy is a number that we can actually tangibly look at. VO2 yeah. is, the O2's number is sexy, but the way you get there is very important to be able to train. But running economy's numbers highly correlated with actual race performance.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: So if we were looking at um, running economy, what we'd really say is it's the, the cost, the O2 cost of doing work at a steady state.
1: Interesting. If if someone comes to you for running economy and let's say they have a big ESD bill for for whatever intensity, can you help them improve that? Is there, I would imagine, is there a degree of physiology tweaking for training zones, maybe strength and conditioning, biomechanics? Yeah. Is that all that, the kind of things that go into that?
2: Yeah, look, there's there's a huge number of factors that are involved in running economy. It's relatively easy to get the number, Yeah. but there's a huge amount of variables underneath yeah, gotcha. the umbrella of running economy. Now, in saying that, one of... A big variable is VO2. Mm-hmm. So being able to train and being able to get your VO2 is, is quite important that way as well. Um, in relation to like strength and conditioning or anything like that, now we're, we're going away a small bit in relation to running and we're going to change disciplines to, uh, it, it happens more often when, with cyclists, is occlusion. So some of your guests might have seen uh, like on Instagram or whatever, there's occlusion cuffs. So what it is is it looks like if you're training your legs and doing a leg extension, somebody would put two cuffs um up near your groin and you would you would put torture porn. Yeah, okay, right (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a blood pressure monitor. (laughs) So um and then you do your leg extensions. Um what this does is it actually restricts the blood going in and the blood going out. Um, actually sorry it restricts the blood going out it, it leaves the, usually leaves the blood going in but it's an occlusion in, in racing that occurs on bikes quite often at high wattages and what happens there is it, it ends up becoming like blood pooling yes so you get a, there's no input or there's no output so the body just starts shutting down mm-hmm. now one way to get over that is actually strength and conditioning uh, Good programming in the gym, resistance training wise, because if you think about it, more so than, more so than maybe running, in a bike you're you're doing mini leg extensions and mini leg curls consistently. Yeah. Repetitively thousands of times. Mm-hmm. So being able to have that strength in your legs to be able to increase the wattage, buy into your overall training, uh, is
1: huge. Hundred percent, and. Would it be fair to say if someone has that occlusion happening, is it normally when the sprinting is taking place? And w- would you say, is that where someone is most likely to get like a vicious quad or hamstring cramp in a scenario like that?
2: Yeah, I... I... <laughs> Possibly no. I've I've never really seen too much of too much of one, but I, I can imagine because there's uh, the system is after shutting down and there's no flow in, in a blood sense mm-hmm. that uh, it'd be quite possible yeah.
1: I I've had to do a good chunk of research into muscle cramps and okay. the the lactate training is a huge part of it. Being accustomed to how much lactate is there, being able to deal with that when you have a lactate build-up, if it kind of supersedes your buffering capacity, it disrupts your muscular signaling so that the signal to contract and relax, that is disrupted. Mm. So you just stay in contract. And unless you happen to have pickle juice or hot shot or any of those anti cramp products on you, that's your race fucked pretty much. Is, I suppose, is it wise to do, again... Lactate threshold testing, the SNC, all these things, once in advance of your race to avoid such disappointments, because I see it all the time with athletes, you know. Yeah, without a
2: doubt. So, say if you come to us, what we would, I would heavily recommend, especially now that a lot of endurance people are in the off season, mm. I would say, come, get tested, understand what your limitations are, understand what you need to do. If you're with a coach, I'll have a chat with the coach or just plug it into your own training or whoever yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very much so an open book, always at the other end of the phone. So what yeah. I would say is do that, but i most definitely say come back to me in like 12, 15 weeks. Obviously that's dependent on when your first race is coming up yeah. or what you want to do. But the thing, the reason is, is because I want to make sure that the arrow is going in the right direction. Yeah. Which I've never not seen it go in the right direction thankfully, and the other one is that we want to be able to see what your new limitations are. Because mm-hmm. it's very easy, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that people generally don't pick off the tree. And that low-hanging fruit, generally, again, is steady-state cardio. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That, that low-end, sort of, uh, long intervals.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But after time and after training that for a number of weeks or months, that changes. Mm -hmm. You're actually getting down, you're digging into the weeds and your limitations change. And you also challenge me as a sports pet specialist and yourself, you might have seen it as well, where we're challenged because we're looking at information and we're trying to gather that uh, that not so low-hanging fruit anymore.
1: Yeah. The, um, the law of diminishing returns. Yes. And I think it'd be fair to say a lot of people try and fast track athletic prowess and really something like endurance, putting the time into understanding your physiology and just fucking banking miles over time. Allowing yourself to mature, that maturation process is huge for endurance. Like you really have to allow that settling. Like Elliot Kipchoge is he's nearly the pensioner. And he's horse around a two hour marathons. So I, yes. I don't know how old he is now, but... He's, 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 he's not young. He's not young. <laughs> he's a mortgage and kids, and I know I do too. But, uh, 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 You're uh, retired. Well, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, retired.
2: Yeah, um, it's like the idea of, uh, you probably get it all the time. Is there not a pill for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? 100%. The easy way out, but if you really enjoy your sport, and you have a love for your sport, and you have a love for getting better and actually wanting to compete. You need to buy into it. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell. I, I'll I'll ask your 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 cost your clients. Uh, and all everybody listening. Buy into it for twelve weeks. It's not much.
1: Oh yeah. Oh listen.
2: All um, the Nordic. All the. All the um the Nordic athletes. What they do is they have 80-20. Uh, you know the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Parade this. Yes, pareto, Yeah. So, you have 80-20, 80% of the time they're doing low-hanging low stuff, 20% they're doing high-intensity stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I would wager that prior to people actually getting this assessed, they're doing 80% of things incorrectly, probably, maybe at an inappropriate intensity or... Oh, without a doubt, yeah, it could be, it could be the complete inverse. <laughs> yeah, 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 without a doubt. Um, so, yeah, Um. I'm gonna put contact details for hearing in the show notes here, and I would highly encourage people to to reach out. If you're, again, looking to manage your weight, if you wanna get a possible diagnosis of reds, or make sure that something like that is going on, you wanna check your thresholds, make sure your zones are sorted out, just become an older and better athlete. Really, really worth a chat. To be honest, I've known you for like eight years, yeah, yeah. I've never actually uh, gone this in depth. We'll definitely get you back for other kind of sports science topics. Yeah, um, i delighted,
2: yeah. We can dive a bit into the weeds
1: on certain things. 100%. Um, what would your advice be to someone, let's say, that maybe they're not in a position where they're invested enough in their sport to, say, go do RMRs, VO2s, the whole kind of kit, Yes. What would your advice be for someone just starting their sports
2: um, journey? Okay, so depending on their, their sports, what sport it is, you can never go wrong with low and slow. Yeah. So if you uh, if you can run or do your sport at and you can keep you can talk you can have a conversation like we're having a conversation now. Mm-hmm you're probably at the right, the right intensity. You don't want to go too high where you can't, you can't talk, mm-hmm. and you don't want to go too low where it's too easy. Um, I trialed myself, I, I recently got injured, but I trialed myself uh, doing, doing this at a heart at wondering what my heart rate was. I was breathing in and out through my nose, mm. and that, that actually indirectly made my intensity go down. And obviously I was, I was practicing something else in a scientific way, for nasal breathing and i was maybe it's something we can talk about uh, at a different podcast but i was interested in there's a couple of factors that can happen again in your breathing and that's another inflection point of intensity but to go back in relation to anybody sport who's starting who might be able to have the a direct investment now what we'd say is low and slow mm. yes 100 mm-hmm. there's a lot of information out there and some of it's quite good mm-hmm. But with the amount of it, it's just distilling it. So hopefully, hopefully some of your guests are after finding some, uh, some
1: nuggets of wisdom here. Oh, ma- massively. Um, if I was uh, organized enough to bring a notepad, I'd have taken loads of nuts. <laughs> 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 um, last question. If you had, and I'm sure you used to get this all the time, maybe still do, Kieran, i I'm going to pack on a couple of pounds of muscle what three exercises will be non-negotiables and how often should I do them? Oh, three exercises uh, to pack on muscle. Uh,
2: exercise number one is putting food into your mouth. Okay. <laughs> um, and then look, I would always just say uh, from, from my time in and strength and conditioning, and I, I say it as if I'm not doing it, I'm, I'm, I'm still a strength and conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I love that part of the, of, uh, of the sector as well. Mm-hmm. But, I would say your compound lifts yes. uh, so your multiple muscle groups where you're getting your biggest bang for your buck uh, your deadlifts your squats um, bench press shoulder press mm-hmm. all those all those big big compound lifts you're getting a huge bang for your buck because a lot of recruitment for a lot of different muscles at the same time
1: okay Kieran. Today was exceptionally interesting, at least. I thought it was, and, you know, I'd like to think the listeners of this podcast are going to be equally as interested. Where can people find you on social media?
2: Right, so on social media, I'm on Instagram, The Perform Lab. Okay. Um, it's a blue and black logo. You'll, you'll see me there. And uh, on Gmail, then, like I was saying, there's theperformlab at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the two primary places that people can find me if you look at my Instagram you'll, you'll see a link to the website uh-huh. and there's a, there's a booking link there as well so you can do everything from the Ormorn VO 2 that we discussed to mm-hmm. Lactic Threshold and
1: Running Economy mm-hmm. and if you somehow forgot all of those details you can also contact Karen vicariously through me I'm a small part of the Perform Lab so you'll find links to that on my socials and my website as well um, Kieran, are you taking bookings and clients at the moment?
2: Yeah, I am. So we're we're actually booked up for the next uh, three or four weeks, Great. sort of leading into into Christmas. But um, and I I'll be very surprised if we're not booked up for for the new year, given the um everybody's everybody's take on on January, and mm-hmm. then also the fact that it's it's endurance time as well, and it's. Yeah it's pre-season for for all the endurance athletes so um yeah we are taking bookings again go to the link instagram uh, yourself or you can find find me through your links or mm-hmm. um on my website then as well
1: and i think for any running cycling triathlon clubs out there or corporates who want to maybe do employee wellness days or if you guys want to get together as a group and do VO2 maxes, Mars lactate thresholds, we do group discounts on all of the above. So if that's something you want to do, please get in touch and we would need a couple of weeks of a lead up time to organise that. So maybe something for the new year, January, February, March. If that's something you're interested in, please reach out and we can get that organised for now. Uh, it's actually the longest episode we've ever had on the podcast. (laughs) Kieran will most definitely be back. He's now the unofficial co-host. Doesn't know it yet. Um, Kieran, thanks very much. Evan, thanks very much for having me.
2: Um, delighted and uh, really enjoyed.
1: We'll have you back again soon.
2: Cheers.